When will there be justice? That is the question on the minds of many Christians around the world today, as the body of Christ suffers injustice and persecution in different parts of the world. There are many countries where believers have to meet in secret because the threat of being imprisoned, tortured or even killed because of their faith is very real. What about Pastor Emmanuel Belaya and his wife Juliana, who were brutally murdered in Nigeria last month on their farm? When will they get justice? What about all the Christians across the world and throughout history who have endured horrendous suffering for the sake of Christ? When will they get justice? What about the times when Christians face persecution a little closer to home? The persecution we face may not be as severe, but it would be wrong to say it's insignificant and it's felt by lots of us. Our society is increasingly determined to redefine righteousness in their own terms and confine Christianity to obscurity and irrelevance. Free speech is being eroded. Biblical beliefs on a whole range of issues are now at best class out of date and at worst pronounced to be bigoted or even dangerous to their new vision of morality. Failure to conform often means being labelled and treated as a shameful person. So for many Christians, holding firm to what the Bible says means they experience tension, hostility or even coldness from their family and friends. Maybe you have had a relationship that's broken down because you held firm to what you believe in your conversations with that person. For some Christians today, failure to compromise on your beliefs or to be vocal about what you believe could quite easily mean your job is at risk. What do you do when your boss wants you to do things you can't agree with? No matter what shape or form persecution might take or to what degree of severity we experience it, injustice and undeserved treatment are part and parcel of being a Christian. That question will be, or perhaps already has been on your mind, when will there be justice? Why doesn't God do something? Well, that was the question on the minds of the believers in Thessalonica. And Paul deals with it right at the beginning of his second letter to the church there that Paul, Timothy and Silvanus, aka Silas, had planted there. But before we look at what Paul has to say in response to this question, it's important that we think for a minute about what was going on in Thessalonica. As we work our way through this letter over the next three weeks, we're going to see that three different groups of people were disrupting the church. Firstly, there are people who are persecuting the believers. Ever since Paul first visited Thessalonica, there was hostility towards Christians and the gospel message. And we can read all about that in Acts 17 when a Jewish mob surrounded Jason's house looking for Paul and Silas. And when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason before the city officials to be arrested. And since then, things don't seem to have been much easier. We don't know exactly what it looks like, but Paul alluded to the ongoing persecution they were having to endure in his first letter to the Thessalonians. And since writing that letter, word has reached Paul in Corinth that this persecution has intensified even more, prompting him to write again. It's most likely that the Thessalonians are being affected socially and economically because of their faith, but perhaps they're even suffering physically. We're not quite sure. But given the way that Paul starts this second letter, it seems that the believers have been questioning how long they can go on without God's intervention. They want to know why they're having to suffer so much for their faith. The second group of people are some false teachers who are trying to deceive the church. These 
false teachers seem to have been responsible for circulating a false document, supposedly from the apostles, that suggested that Jesus had already come back. And Paul is going to tackle this serious error head on in chapter 2. And then finally, the third group are a group within the church who are idle. This is also not a new issue in Thessalonica. Paul has already raised concerns about them in 1 Thessalonians. But despite repeated appeals, they are still refusing to listen to Paul's teaching. And now in this second letter, they receive a much stronger rebuke so that they will stop disrupting the church and be obedient to what Paul has taught them and modelled for them in his own life. So Paul has lots to be dealing with as he sits down to write this letter. But tonight we're going to focus on that first problem. We're going to look at what Paul has to say to the Thessalonians about the persecution that they are facing. What could Paul possibly say that might comfort these believers in Thessalonica? Well, God is going to speak through Paul to direct their attention to what is going to happen when Christ returns. That's the main point of this passage. That's where he wants them to look. Looking to what lies ahead for them is the only thing that's going to make a difference to their perspective and what they're experiencing now. And as we look at this text, uh, there's two aspects of what is going to happen on the day of Christ's return that Paul wants to teach them in order to encourage them to keep going in their faith. And I'm sure that as we look at this message to them, we too will be encouraged to persevere when we face hard times in our own lives for the sake of Christ. Okay, so let's think about the first truth that Paul wants to teach them. And that is that Christ's return will be a day of justice. Christ's return will be a day of justice. Anywhere in the New Testament that Paul hears that Christians are being persecuted for their faith, he wants them to know that suffering is part of the Christian life. Perhaps the most explicit place that Paul says this is Acts 14 verse 22, where Paul just lays it out and says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul is always concerned that when believers experience hardship and suffering for their faith, it will cause them to throw in the towel and walk away because they haven't realised that suffering comes with the territory when you're a Christian. And he has the exact same concern for these Christians here in Thessalonica as well. So right at the start of this letter, Paul wants to remind them that a day is coming where everything is going to be sorted out. Everything is going to be made right. He tells, that, he tells them that when Christ returns, it is going to be a day of justice. And we can notice that that justice is going to be ruled out in two different ways for two different kinds of people. Firstly, uh, notice that believers who endure suffering will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Believers who endure suffering will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Paul begins this letter with a big well done in verses three and four. He's thankful to God that their faith and their love for one another is growing more and more despite this persecution. Paul has been singing their praises in other churches because they have been standing strong uh, through all these trials and sufferings that they've been experiencing. But then Paul says something surprising in verse five. He says this, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Paul says that these persecutions and trials that are causing them to question what God is doing are actually evidence that God's judgment is right and, and that they will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. 
In other words, God has a purpose for their suffering, a purpose that if these Thessalonians could grasp, it would make enduring hardship all the more manageable. So what is that purpose? Well, Paul is saying that God is using this pressure in order to assess them and test them to make sure that they are counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Sometimes God allows suffering and trials to interfere with our lives um, in order to strengthen our faith uh, and to prepare us for future glory. Think of a workman working with a precious metal. He will use heat and bring it to the necessary temperature because that is part of the process which enables the metal to be refined and fit for future use. Throughout the process, the workman will judge or test if the temperature is correct to make sure the refining process is done right. God is doing the same thing with us. His judgment is right and he sanctifies us. And as he prepares us for his kingdom, it will involve some heat. It will involve a certain degree of suffering. And the final result of the refining process is that we will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God on the day that Christ returns. And that is why Paul can say that the suffering a believer faces is evidence that God will pronounce a right verdict on them on that day. It shows that you're part of the process. Suffering for being a Christian shows that you're on the path of becoming like Christ. It shows that you're on the road that leads to the great well done. It is evidence that you're going to be on the right side of God's judgment on that final day. Now, does that mean that we should go looking for suffering? Does that mean that if you aren't suffering that we aren't going to be considered worthy of the kingdom of God? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. The word counted here is very important. Being worthy of the kingdom of God is never something we earn. God counts us as worthy if we have trusted in the only one who is worthy. We don't have to go through a certain number of trials and then eventually we'll be good enough for the kingdom. We don't need to get our suffering badge before we can get in. Paul is saying that persecution and trials uh, are naturally associated with those who are going to be counted worthy of the kingdom, those who are in Christ. If we put our trust in Christ, we are counted righteous because he is righteous. It is only through trusting in Christ's righteousness that we could ever be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And that isn't incompatible with the fact that as Christians, we are still being made to be like Christ. We are still being sanctified. We are still becoming what we have already attained in Christ. And in his righteous judgment, God uses persecution and trials to do that. So the big encouragement for the Thessalonians and for us is that if you're suffering for being a Christian, you can take that as evidence that you're being sanctified and that God will judge you to be righteous when Christ returns. Can you imagine how comforting that truth would have been to the ears of those who were being persecuted in Thessalonica. They can know that they will be on the right side of God's judgment. They will be declared innocent and counted worthy to enter the kingdom of God. But what about the second group of people? Who are they and what judgment will they receive? Well, notice secondly that unbelievers will be punished with everlasting destruction. Unbelievers will be punished with everlasting destruction. In verse 6 to 9, Paul says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished 
with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Paul is saying that on the same day that believers are judged to be worthy of the kingdom of God, there is another judgment that will take place. There are people who will be on the wrong side of God's justice. There are people who will be declared guilty and judged to be unworthy of the kingdom of God. These people are those who don't know God and don't obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, they are people who have rejected Christ. They never believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for their sin and that he rose again from the dead. That group of people includes all those who have been troubling the believers in Thessalonica. And it includes all those who have ever troubled any believer who has ever lived. It includes the men who murdered Emmanuel and Juliana in Nigeria. Anyone who has ever lifted their finger or opened their mouth towards a Christian if they have not repented of their sin and turned to Christ. And the Bible is super clear here on what is going to happen to them and to all those who have rejected Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and all of his glory. Now, before I go any further, I need to stop right there. And I have to say that if you're listening to this right now and you have not yet put your trust in Christ, if you have not yet recognised your need of a saviour, ask God for forgiveness and repented of your sin, then you are headed for everlasting destruction. This is not a fairy tale. This is not made up. It's very real. There is a day of reckoning on its way. There is a day when every human being who's ever lived will stand before God and only those who have taken refuge in Jesus Christ as their saviour will enter the kingdom of God. Everyone else will be shut out from God's presence. They didn't want anything to do with God in life and God will honour their wishes for eternity. And that means they will be excluded from eternal life and all the glorious riches of Christ's kingdom. Instead, they will be punished forever. Jesus described this punishment in Matthew 13 as being thrown into a blazing furnace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This means that if you reject Christ, you'll be sent to hell where the fire never goes out. If you aren't a Christian and you're listening to this, have you ever thought about that? Listen to this warning in God's word. Turn to him and be saved. No matter who you are or what you've done, if you repent of your sin, God will have mercy on you because he is gracious. But God is also just. He won't allow sin to go unpunished. If you haven't believed in Christ, there is a day coming when your number will be up. You won't be able to blag your way into heaven. Turn to Christ before it is too late. Get right with him today. He sent his son to take that punishment so that we don't have to. You too can be counted worthy of God's kingdom if you trust in his sacrifice and ask him for forgiveness. If you are in Christ, if you are, if you are already a Christian, then notice Paul's intention behind what he says. He wants to comfort these Thessalonians. He is teaching them that God's that when God's justice is ruled out, it is going to be a day of relief. It will be payback time for all those who have persecuted God's people. How comforting is it to know that God is going to make everything right, that every 
single injustice we have ever experienced will be reversed. Every person who caused trouble for the people of God will receive payback for what they have done. For the Thessalonians, that would have been a massive comfort, wouldn't it? They know the fate of these people. That means that they don't have to extract their own revenge on these people. Perhaps they could even have compassion for the very ones who are persecuting them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the wrath that they're storing up for themselves. Perhaps we could come to that conclusion as well. Brothers and sisters, when we remember that Christ's return is a day of justice, that changes how we live entirely. It changes how we look at persecution and man-made suffering. We can actually rejoice in it as evidence that we will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. But not only that, it changes how we view those who are causing us such a hard time. We know that they will get far worse than they could ever do to us. And when we realise that, instead of seeking our own earthly revenge, we can actually have compassion on them. We can actually love our enemies. We can even come to the conclusion that we need to share the good news with those who are giving us such a hard time. Okay, so Christ's return will be a day of justice. But there's another aspect to that day that Paul goes on to teach the Thessalonians, and that is that Christ's return will be a day of glory. Christ's return will be a day of glory. Christ delivering final justice will not be the climax of the day of his return. Actually, for believers, the focus will be on something else. Believers will marvel at Christ's glory. Believers will marvel at Christ's glory. Look again with me to verse 10. On the day of Christ's return, yes, Believers will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Yes, the unrighteous will be punished with everlasting destruction. But most importantly, on that day, Christ will be glorified in his holy people and marveled at among all those who have believed. Christ is the main event. Christ is the showstopper. The great climax of that day is that we who have trusted in Christ will see him in all of his power and his glory. We will see him in all of his splendour and majesty, and we will glorify him. While those who reject Christ will be shut out from the presence of the Lord, we will be shut in with Christ. We will live forever in the presence of our glorious Saviour. Revelation 21 tells us that the new creation has no need for the sun or for the moon, because the glory of God will give it light. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, will be our lamp. And we will live in the warmth of his glory for all eternity. Isn't that amazing? Our hope is not a place, it's a person. It's being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory for all of eternity. Paul doesn't want the Thessalonians to forget that. And in case they needed it spelled out for them, he says it explicitly in verse 10. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Not only does he want to remind them that their, pers their persecutors will receive such terrible punishment for their actions? He wants to remind them of how great the great reversal is going to be. They who suffered for a little while on earth will enter the kingdom of God forever. They will marvel for eternity at the indescribable glory of Christ. 
they are getting an infinitely better deal. This is what lies ahead for all those who have believed the gospel. This is what lies ahead for us, the Church of Christ today. One day, we will see Christ in all of his glory. Christ is our reward. Let me ask you tonight, when was the last time you thought about what lies in store for us? When was the last time you marvelled at the thought of the glory of Christ? That's what we'll be doing on that day and for the rest of eternity. But as if that wasn't enough, there's another amazing truth that Paul wants to teach them about Christ's glory. Another amazing truth that will encourage them to hold on and keep living holy lives in the presence of these persecutors. And that is that believers will share in Christ's glory. Believers will share in Christ's glory. In verse 11, Paul picks up the theme of sanctification again when he prays that God would make them worthy of his calling and that God by his power would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith in the lives of the Thessalonians. Paul is praying that God would continue to sanctify them and work through them for the glory of God. And the result of their sanctification is there in verse 12. Can you see it? So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that the feet of those who are being sanctified, those who are bringing glory to God now on earth, is that they will one day be glorified in Christ. Yes, Jesus Christ will be revealed in his own glory and splendour, as we've just thought about. But as well as that, on that day, the glory of Christ will also be revealed in us. So what does it mean that we will be glorified in Christ? How is it that we share in his glory? Well, on that day, we will be completely and permanently transformed into the likeness of Christ. And as we are transformed, the glory of Christ will be seen in us and we will shine forever with the glory of Christ. We will be like a filament for Christ's glory. When an electric current flows through the filament in a light bulb, it glows with light and heat. When the filament comes into contact with that electrical current, the filament is changed. It becomes radiant. So it is with Christ's spiritual body, the church, and his glory. But for us, it won't be a temporary thing that can be switched on and off. It will be permanent. The, per the current won't get switched off so that we go dark and cold again. We will be permanently changed to shine with the glory of Christ. Scripture gives us an even better example of this at the Transfiguration. At the Transfiguration, Christ's physical body shone with the glory of God. He was temporarily transfigured by the glory of God on the mountain. That same thing is going to happen to us as Christ's spiritual body. But again, not just temporarily, but permanently. We will be visible conductors of his glory because we will be like him. And as Christians, this is what we should all be living for and looking forward to. If we aren't looking forward to the day that we will be glorified in Christ, then there is something wrong. We will lose focus. If all we look at is our experiences here on earth, then we will easily become discouraged, especially if we are suffering because of our faith. Now, you might be thinking that it's surely it's wrong to seek after uh, our own glory. Surely a Christian should live for the glory of God alone. But 
The two are not incompatible. It is not a conflict to live for the glory of Christ and to pursue being glorified by Christ. Why not? Well, it's because it is Christ who glorifies us. We have no original or inherent glory whatsoever. We only reflect his glory. We are his bride. We are united to him and he makes us beautiful. That's why Paul says, according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, we are only glorified because by his grace we are conformed to his image. He is the template from which our glory is brought about. This is where our sanctification is headed. This is why we are enduring suffering and are being refined here on earth, so that Christ may be glorified in us and us in him. So as we seek to bring glory to Christ now on earth by how we live, as God works in us to bring to fruition every good desire for goodness and every good deed prompted by faith, just as Paul prayed for the Thessalonians, let's look forward to the day when we will be completely transformed, when we will fully reflect the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as we come uh, to a close tonight, let's, let's take a moment to take on board what God wants to say to us through what Paul had to say into the situation the Thessalonians were facing. Let's be encouraged that God has an answer to our question. God knows exactly when there will be justice. Let's listen to the encouragement in his word to keep our eyes on what is to come in the middle of what we're facing. We have more than just optimism to keep us going. We have a hope that is absolutely certain. We know that the promises of God will be fulfilled. We know that the best is yet to come. We know that there is a day of justice and glory ahead for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you have been hard done by as a direct result of your faith. Or perhaps you have been struggling with being faithful to what God's word says in every area of your life because you're worried about what might happen to you if you are. They'll not want anything to do with me if I'm honest about my faith. How will I provide for my family if I refuse to compromise my beliefs and I lose my job? Or maybe every time you see or hear of another instance of violent persecution somewhere else in the world, it causes you to doubt and question whether God is even there. How could God let that happen? It's just not right. Remember that God is just. There will be a day when he makes everything right. The persecutions and trials of his people are momentary compared to the glorious, majestic eternity he has in store for them. Remember that God is refining us and preparing us for that day. and We will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Remember that what is to come is much, much greater than the world we live in now. God will make it right. Again, if you're not yet a Christian, please make sure you do something about what you've heard this evening. Respond in faith, put your trust in Christ, avoid an eternity in hell and receive the certain hope of an eternity in the glorious presence of the Lord Jesus. Don't leave it before it's too late. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for your word and we thank you for this description of what the day of Christ's return will be like. We thank you that it will be a day of justice and a day of glory, that you will put everything right. Lord, we long for the day that we are able to marvel at your glory and your splendour and that we 
will be glorified in you as we are transformed into your likeness and we reflect your glory. Lord, help us to keep our focus on that every day of our lives and especially as we go through hard things uh, and hard experiences because of our faith. And we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.